I walk in the room and he just looks up and said, hey, look, that's my dad. He jumps up out of his seat and he runs up to the front of the class and jumps up and I'm 6'4". And he just lands about halfway up my body. He grabs my face, he said, you my dad? And I said, uh, do you need me to be? And he said, you my dad. And he just kissed me right in the mouth. First time I ever seen him. And he said, hey, look, that's my dad. Hi, I'm Julia Dennison. And I'm Sean T. And this is We Are Family, a podcast from Parents Magazine. This show is all about celebrating the different ways there are to build and be a family and how beautiful that diversity is. Today, we've got a great story for you about foster care and adoption. Our guest is bluegrass musician Barry Abernathy, who plays banjo in the band Appalachian Roadshow. He and his wife have two teenage daughters, and until about a year ago, they thought that their family was complete. They'd never considered becoming foster or adoptive parents. But then two kids came into their lives who changed that. Five-year-old Tyler and six-year-old Zoe. Wait, they didn't want any more kids and now they have a five and six-year-old? I need to hear this. Yeah, can you believe that? So I talked to Barry back in April when we were all under strict social distancing. But that looked a lot different for his family in LJ, Georgia than it did for mine in Queens. So I live in the mountains. We don't have a lot of... uh, traffic out here where I live. I'm, I'm close to a mile from my neighbors, and I'm almost 20 miles from town. So uh, life hadn't changed a whole lot, except for I don't get to go on the road, play music right now. As far as hobbies and stuff, we do the same thing we always have. We'll ride around in the mountains and, uh, you know, look at animals or go fishing or something like that, you know. So we, we, we've got it made pretty good out here. Barry is a big deal in the bluegrass world. He's an award-winning banjo player, and before getting together with his current group, Appalachian Roadshow, he was one of the founders of the band Mountain Heart. Barry was also born without fingers on one hand, but he didn't realize he was different until he started school. I was born with no fingers on my left hand, just a thumb and a piece of a first finger. I can't recall noticing myself that there was a difference in me and anybody else until I got in school and living in a small town in the North Georgia mountains. Kids are cruel, you know, they haven't been taught any better. And, you know, my mom and dad never drew attention to it. They never mentioned it before I started school. And then when I started saying, well, you know, so-and-so tried to pick a fight with me or they did this and that and they made fun of my hand. And, and, you know, why am I different? You know, mom would always say, it's just the way God made you. It's the way he wanted you. There's a reason for it. And, and he's got a plan. Don't, don't think nothing else of it. Don't worry about what somebody else says or thinks, you know. And that type of stuff sticks with you. I've never thought that I couldn't do anything. As a teenager, Barry decided he wanted to learn to play the banjo. I started when I was about 13 or 14 being interested in it. And my mom, you know, she said, I'm not trying to discourage you, but you know you're not going to be able to play music, honey, with, with no fingers. And I said, well, I want to try. I th- I've, I've studied the banjo. I think, you know, it's got open strings, and you play it with a roll. You play it with three fingers, so you've got a, a finger hitting a different string at different times. You're not brushing. You're not strumming. And I said, I think I can do that. You know, I think there's ways of going about things. You can tune things different. There's always something you can do to, to make something happen. So Barry started playing on his great-grandmother's old banjo. His mom told him that if he learned to play a song all the way through, she'd buy him a new one. 
She didn't have no idea. She was about to, a month away from having to go get a, a mortgage. <laughs> I told her, I said, well, if I learn how to play a song without messing up all the way through, will you buy me a Gibson? She said, if you can play one straight through and not mess up, I'll buy you a Gibson. Oh. And they were expensive. You know, Even Gibson. I know that's a fancy one. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, about a month, I was playing a half a dozen tunes or so. Barry built a successful music career and started a family with his wife, Beverly. They have two daughters, Chastity, who's 18, and Emma, who's 16. In high school, Chastity started working at a local daycare center. One day last year, she came home and told Barry about a brother and sister who were in foster care. She said, Daddy, she said, you need to see these two kids that they brought in to daycare. She said, they're so cute. And she said, they've had such a hard life. They really need somebody to help them. And I said, honey, we, you know, I'm 50, I'll be 50 years old in a couple months. I can't. I can't raise kids again. She said, well, I'm not saying that. She said, I'm just saying, I just feel like they need help. You know, and she said, uh, the little boy, he was four at the time, Tyler. She said, he's got a hand exactly like yours. Anyway, he's got the same birth defect, exactly the same. I've, I've seen people with the same type of birth defect. I've never seen anybody exactly the same, same hand, same thumb, same you know, a piece of first finger and all that. But his is just like mine. And uh, anyway, cute as a button. He looks like the kid off of Jerry Maguire. Chastity learned that Tyler and his sister Zoe might have to leave their current foster home. They'd already been in eight different foster care placements in 10 months. She said the people that have them now, you know, they, they might not keep them. They wasn't looking good. Anyway, a few days passed and I was getting ready to go out on the road on, I think it was on a Wednesday evening. And I was taking my youngest daughter to my mother's to stay until my wife got off work. And I was going up the highway, and and I'm just going to tell you this. I don't know, you know, uh, how your audience, how anybody else believes, but I'm just going to tell it the way it happened. I felt like God got in the car with me. It felt like that he just got in the car with me. We were about two miles away from uh, the daycare center, and all of a sudden it just, uh, a real heavy drawing just, just kind of, come over me and I looked at my youngest daughter and I said, honey, I need to go by and see them kids for a minute. And she said, daddy, I'm your baby. She said, I knew you was going to do that. And I said, how did you know that? She said, I could just feel it. And so anyway, we were about two miles and I said, well, I'm just going to go by and see them. I said, I feel like I need to see them. We'll hear what happened next after a short break. Stay with us. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to We Are Family. Today we're talking to banjo player Barry Abernathy. He and his wife Beverly had never thought about becoming foster or adoptive parents. But that changed after their daughter Chastity told them about two kids at the child care center where she worked, Tyler and Zoe. Barry was in the car with their younger daughter Emma when he felt called to go see them. I go by the daycare and I go in and I ask Miss Tammy if I could go see those kids that, that had come in that Chastity was telling about. She said, sure. So I go back to the classroom, the first classroom, and, and Tyler was in, in it. It was the 
you know, three and four year olds, five year olds and stuff. Well, my daughter had shown him videos of me playing. We had just recorded a couple of music videos with Appalachian Roadshow. And uh, one of them was Dance, 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 the old Steve Miller band tune. And we kind of made a fiddle fiddle tune, dance, a real, real dancing tune. It's kind of a tempo thing, the way we do it. And uh, he had been listening to it and singing and, and dancing with it, you know. And so I walk in the room. I'd never seen him. He'd never seen me in person. Tyler was around four at the time. Barry says he didn't know his biological father. So uh, I walk in the room and he just looks up and patted his buddy on the head and said, hey, look, that's my dad. And I, and I, was, I was like, I was shocked. You know, and he jumps up out of his seat and he runs up to the front of the class and jumps up. He just, he never even slows down. He just runs and just jumps up and I'm six four and he just lands about halfway up my body and I just grabbed a hold of him. He pulls his way up and he grabs my face. He said, you my dad? And I said, uh, do you need me to be? And he said, <laughs> you my dad. And he just kissed me right in the mouth. First time I ever seen him. And he said, hey, look, that's my dad. Told all his classmates, that's my dad. He was so thrilled. He thought I was his daddy. And, uh, because oh we had hands alike. We had the, our hands were alike, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I left and, and I went and met Zoe and she was not as warm. Zoe is a year older than Tyler. So she was more aware of what was happening when they went into foster care. And understandably, she had her guard up. It took her a little while to warm up to everybody. She's a little different personality. She wasn't looking for the same thing Tyler was looking for. What she knew was that she had been moved eight times in the less than a year, and she was getting used to shutting people out. After meeting Zoe and Tyler for the first time at the daycare center, Barry said goodbye. But he couldn't shake the feeling that he needed to do something. I was leaving to go play music on the road. I was going to Nashville to pick my fiddle man and my partner up. I had about 10 hours worth of driving to do. And I left and I called my wife and I told her I went to see the kids. And she said, I did too at lunch. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, neither one of us knew the other one was going. You know, we didn't know the other one was going to go. So it was on both of us at the same time. She said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, we can't take any kids in. And she said, I know. And I said, she said, well, how do you feel? And I said, well, I feel like, <laughs> I mean, you know, if I told you how I feel right now, I feel like that it, it's like we're being called to do it almost. It feels like it's a calling and a drawing. And I said, I'm just going to pray about it. So I, I I hung up the phone with her, and I was probably 45, 50 minutes, you know, out of, out of town, headed to Nashville, and I just decided to pray about it. And I just got serious with God, and he got more serious with me. And it was it was just, I don't know how to explain it, except for it was just heavy. It was just a, a, a feeling that I was going to have to do it. And I, this all happened in I mean, this was all, all of a sudden, you know, I got this feeling at, say, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I've got this feeling like I'm going to have to take these kids in for some reason. And I prayed about it and argued with, with God about it, and finally when I got done, I just said people would have thought I was crazy if they'd have drove by, and, drove by me and seen me talking to myself. Barry and his wife learned that Tyler and Zoe had to leave their foster home and would be transferred into a group home a few counties away. Since Chastity had been their teacher, the Abernathys got permission to bring the kids home for a weekend. Well, we heard about it, and my wife couldn't stand it. So my wife FaceTimes me, and she's got the kids with her. And that's pretty much, that pretty much was it. Long story short, that was in the middle of June of 2019. So we started the process of, of becoming foster parents. We took the classes. It was amazing how it all came together. It hadn't been easy, but, but it was meant to be. A few months later, 
the Abernathys began the process of legally adopting Tyler and Zoe. And then the COVID-19 pandemic hit. So finally, last Monday, we just went through with the adoption on Zoom. We sit right here, just like I'm, kind of like I'm talking to you. We just turned Zoom on on the computer and and had the judge and about probably 20 people, uh, friends of my wife's and, and mine that were all on the, on Zoom with us and just celebrated with us. And it was a, it was a big, big fun. Tyler, the little boy, when it was over with, he said, uh, the judge said, well, y'all are Abernathy's now. Welcome to the Abernathy family. Everybody started chatting and he looked at me and he said, Yeah, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Tyler sounds like such a character. Oh, he's a character. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, that is just the sweetest story. I'm so sappy now that I'm a a mom of a three-year-old. So, like, any story with young kids like this hits me in the heart. So it really felt like it was meant to be. And so basically, it, you're coming up on a year now since meeting the kids. It, would, it was June last year. And then so much yeah. has progressed. And then congratulations on the adoption. And Thank you. so glad to be able to be speaking to you right right after that happened. And the fact that it could happen over Zoom, it makes you think what kind of things could that open up for other, for future families. So it's, it's such a wonderful, <laughs> yeah, yeah. heartwarming uh, story. So now, how does it feel parenting these young kids now as an older dad? Do you, do you feel like you're doing anything differently now than you did before? I have noticed that, you know, with our kids, we kind of got out of the habit of sitting around the table, having supper together, having prayer, talking to each other. And that's something that these kids really needed. And, and it's amazing. You don't, you don't realize how much a kid really needs stuff like that. Do you see these kids that have never had it? And, uh, you know, now we wait till everybody's home and we fix supper and, and, uh, we all sit down at the table at the same time, and we have prayer, and we eat, and uh, we talk, and, and, you know, sometimes we talk, sometimes we argue, but it's a, it's a family, you know, but it's, uh, well, you imagine two, teen- two teenagers and a, and a five- and six-year-old, so, so it, but it's, uh, it is, that, that's one part of life that I've really enjoyed uh, getting back to, you know, the little kids love it. Tyler, he jumped, he wants to jump up and down and give everybody a kiss, and they want a hug, because he can't stand to sit still, he's, he has a hard time sitting still, and he'll say, "Mommy, I hug you, I hug you." And he'll jump up and Aww. try to give her a hug. I say, "I say, son, you got to sit in your seat. I won't give mom a kiss." He'll say, <laughs> "How do you deny a kid? How do you deny a kid giving his mom a kiss?" <laughs> you can't. No. And so that makes me wonder what what kind of things have you seen that these kids have really craved, and what are you teaching them about what it means to be a family? Well, both of them are different. The little boy. I think he to start with he craved a daddy real bad. You could tell he it was it was just daddy daddy daddy. He was stuck to me like glue. And now he's he's tight with both with both my kids, uh, Chastity and Emma. And he's a roughhouser. He loves to. I mean, he's just a little. He's all boy, you know. And he wants to when Chastity comes in from work, he's ready for her. When she gets here, she'll come in and and she'll plop down on the couch or on the end of the bed or wherever she's at. And she'll plop down to talk to us and. He'll sneak up behind her and draw back as hard as he can, smack her right in the tail, <laughs> and then take off running. And she'll say, "Tyler, I'm going to get you." And he'll take off running, and laughing, and and uh, does the same thing. Sometimes with Emma, Emma's 16, and Emma'll say, "Tyler, I love you," and he'll say, "Nope, 
nope, me not your best friend no more. Me not your best friend. <laughs> and just doing it to get them to get a rise out of him. You know, he, that's uh-huh. he's a he's a cut up. He'll do it. And but he, he craved a daddy to start with. Mm-hmm. Now he's tight with his sisters. He's real close with Zoe. And uh, I mean, it's it's amazing how how much you know they they love each other because they've they've had to be together through all this. You know, that's the only constant they had through all this. I mean. 634 days that they were in state custody. So they had all that time that it was just them, you know, they had different families that that were keeping them. And so after 634 days, they're finally in their forever home, you know, so they're the the change, even in the last week, the change, like the little girl, Zoe, she was uh, a little tougher to crack, you know, early on. She, she wanted to love everybody and she wanted to feel secure and she wanted to feel safe. You could tell that, but she, she didn't, and she had a wall up. You know, it, it was almost like, and if she done anything that you tried to correct her on, she would just go blank. She'd just go blank. She could not tell you what you was trying to correct her on. She couldn't tell you. You learn in those classes that trauma comes in different ways, and a lot of it's just neglect, you know, when they're babies. But just since last, last Monday, since the adoption was final, during the adoption, she cried. She's six years old, and she cried during the adoption. It was happy, happy tears. And after the adoption, she uh, she started changing immediately. I mean, it was like all of a sudden she's telling everybody she loves them and she's coming and giving you hugs that she wouldn't give you before. Uh, she's, you know, she feels like part of the family. She feels like she belongs now. And Tyler always did because he's he's either too young or just, uh, just happy-go-lucky enough not to care. My eyes were really open after, after the adoption. After about two days, I told my wife, I said, is it just me, or do you notice a huge difference in Zoe? And she said, "Oh gosh, I mean, it's unbelievable." She would, uh, she would do stuff, and she would lie about it, and just little things like that. It just, you know, it's just behavior from trauma is all it is. And and, uh, and you know, now she's she's more truthful. She wants to help do everything, you know. So it's amazing to turn around in it, and I, and I just hope that that God continues to to bless them and help them. You know, I mean, I'll help them all I can, and my wife will, but. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to be. I've left this up to God. I'm doing. I'm going to do all I can and leave it up to Him because it's. You know, it's this. They've been through a lot. They really have. Absolutely, I'm sure there's a sense of security that she had when the adoption finally came through. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. Those kids are so lucky to have you, but I'm sure you also feel so lucky to have them. Oh, I do. I do. What advice would you give anyone considering becoming a foster parent or adopting a child? You know, the classes that you take to become a foster parent, uh, I will say this, they were aggravating to go to. You had to sit five hours at a time. And, you know, when you've got a life going on, those are hard. The courses are not hard courses. It's just that you have to sit and and listen and take notes and and do some little tests and stuff. But there's a lot of information in there about kids that have have dealt with trauma and neglect and, and some sexual abuse and some different things like that. You learn about all that and you see... You see examples uh, of what some children have been through, and there's thousands and thousands and thousands of kids looking for homes. If somebody's able to, and, and I don't think nobody probably feels like they're able to, but I mean, I've seen a huge difference in these kids' lives already, a uh, huge difference in, in the way they act and the way they conduct themselves and, and the way they feel about themselves. Another new development, Tyler wants to play music, just like his dad. He can sing. Melody, even though he don't say his words playing all the time, he, he's on pitch. And uh, he, uh, he'll he take a mandolin, and while I'm playing the banjo, he'll 
he'll beat on it and he'll beat in time with me. And he's never, you know, been around music before this, but he'll beat his mandolin and he'll be in time patting his foot one, one beat. In a video recorded of the two of them, Tyler's sitting in a rocking chair next to Barry, and he starts tapping his bare foot right on top of his dad's. And slapping the mandolin with other beats, you know, and I'll just tune it open and let him play in the open key that I'm in, you know. And music has always been a huge part of my life, and I hope it is with, with these kids. Thank you so much, Barry. It's been so great chatting with you. Well, I sure do appreciate it so, so much. I've enjoyed it. Y'all have a wonderful day. Julia, you know how we talk about getting teary-eyed on this show? Well, that story definitely brings up a lot of emotion for me. Every kid needs love and a safe place to call home. I'm so happy for the Abernathy family. Me too. And if you're thinking about becoming a foster or adoptive parent, you can learn more at parents.com slash wearefamilypodcast. We've got links to stories in our show notes. And Barry's band, Appalachian Road Show, has a new album out called Tribulation. Make sure you check it out. That's all for this episode. Tune in next week because we've got another great show for you on a subject near and dear to me, single parenting. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on We Are Family. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Eliza Lambert, Susie Armitage, and Lena Bexillison. This show was recorded in New York and Seattle, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at parents.com slash podcast, and you can follow us on Instagram handle at parents, and you can follow me on Instagram at Julia Dennison. That's D-E-N-N-I-S-O-N. And you can follow me at Sean T. That's S-H-A-U-N-T.